0: Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach.
1: Okay, welcome. I want to ask you some questions. First, do you know how to set up your company so it looks great for investors? Or are you looking to find out some unique methods for fundraising? And when is the right time to even go get money? All of those questions and more will be answered today. This is Sastry in the Making. I am your host, Matt Wallach, and I am delighted to be joined by my special guest, Stephanie Sims. Stephanie, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me on.
1: Absolutely. Let me tell everybody about Stephanie because I think it's really interesting, in her background and everything she's been able to accomplish in her career. She is the founder of FinanceAbility. This is a company that helps business owners learn how to manage their finances in a way that provides value. She has more than two decades of experience in finance, quality and IT management, and valuation of public and private entities. She's got a decade of investment baking with Goldman Sachs and Lehman and and more. It's really, really impressive what she's been able to do and including she's helped her clients raise over $30 million. And really what she does now is she mentors early stage entrepreneurs at accelerator programs across the globe. And she serves as even as a judge in startup competitions. That sounds like a ton of fun, Stephanie. I I think I should uh, look into doing that too. That sounds like a lot of fun. I bet you enjoy that.
0: Yeah, it is. And I can definitely hook you up if you want to get involved. We're always uh, looking for additional folks with different experiences to be part of those judging panels.
1: Sounds like a ton of fun. We'll have to talk about that offline. And also lastly, Stephanie is the author of a great book, Funding Your Business Without Selling Your Soul. So once again, Stephanie, thanks so much for coming on the show.
0: Of course, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to dive in and hear the questions that your audience wants to get answered, but also talk a little bit about sales as the principal source of capital, which most people forget. Every time they think about raising capital, they forget that sales is actually one of the best ways to get capital in your business.
1: I totally agree. That's something that I coach my clients on as well is, hey, if you're needing some extra funds for this or that, you want this initiative, you want to kick this off, sell. Sell more business. It's so funny. One of my friends a long, long time ago told me, sales fixes everything. You need to hire some more developers. You need to hire some more marketing people. You want to put some more dollars out there, sell some more stuff, and then you'll be able to do so.
0: Exactly. I would put a little caveat, profitable sales. Sales where you actually make money help you out. But um, but yeah, it's so funny that people get so hung up on this concept of I have to go raise equity or I need to run a crowdfunding campaign. And those things have a place for sure. But a lot of times they overlook the thing that's sitting in their in their hands, which is how can I create something else of value that my clients or future clients might want to buy and pay me for?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I can't wait to dive into that. But before we do, tell me what's been going on lately at Financeability and what's coming up for you?
0: That's a great question. Like uh, everyone, I think 2020 has been a very interesting year, if we can put it nicely. But I've been surprised to see how many people that I've worked with have made successful pivots despite the big challenges that they've had. Um, I'm thinking about a few different clients. And I've been so impressed by people's dedication to really making their business work despite the fact that they may have heard, "Oh my gosh, there's no investment capital out there. Oh my gosh, nobody's buying. Everyone's freaking out." It just reminds me why it's so cool to work with entrepreneurs because we find a way, right? We figure it out.
1: That's the beauty of being an entrepreneur is, hey, if something happens, you've got to learn to deal with it. And it's something I'm trying to teach my daughters now is, you know, they get so upset about this happened or this happened, and you know what? I always say, it's not what happens to you, it's how you deal with it. And I yep. think that's really at the heart of being an entrepreneur. So I'm glad to hear that from you. Uh, What I want to ask is you you have a wealth of experience working with some of the biggest names in finance. What made you want to help and work with early stage founders?
0: So it's really funny. After about a decade in investment banking and then a decade in a company that was a high-tech manufacturing company funded by both angels and venture capitalists, which we were able to successfully exit, I was kind of looking for the next thing to do. And my parents had owned a business since I was in high school. And they were looking to sell their business. And like, this is a very successful business and my parents are smart people and they were struggling. And I started to talk to them and I was like, oh, now I get it. It's because you see your business from the inside, but you don't see your business as an investment. Mm. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what hangs people up. Whether they're trying to sell their business, whether they're trying to raise capital or anything else, they can't get far enough back to see their business as an investment for someone else. And that's why they consistently can't get the value that they want for that business, whether it's raising capital or selling their business.
1: That's super interesting. And I totally agree. Sometimes you can't see the forest for the trees. And I think it's really important to have that help to be able to do that. Because, you know, a lot of founders, they think they need investors. They think they need to go out and find people to give them money. But, you know, you've mentioned there's other ways to raise funds. You kind of gave a little little spoiler alert hint to that. So what are some of those ways? What do you look for? And how do you help people with that?
0: Yes. Yeah, so I think one of the most important things as you're thinking about growing your business is this sort of investor mindset. And you don't have to always be thinking, oh my gosh, what would someone on Sand Hill Road, you know, one of these big VCs be thinking of my company. But you want to Build that investor mindset muscle as you're making decisions in your business, right? So something as simple, I I find a lot of founders do this. There are people that I see that they'll apply to every pitch competition, maybe across the country, definitely in their area, but they're out there like, you know, okay, I'm going to fill out this application. And you ask them and it's like, what's the prize? Five grand, maybe 10. Some cases, you know, there are bigger competitions, but it's like, okay, wait, so how much time did you invest in that application for a very small prize? In front of an audience that may not even be able, that may not even have one of your target clients in it, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, you're gonna invest all these resources to go and win a $5,000 check, but you won't invest that same level of resource and commitment to signing a new client, for example, or to cleaning up your service offering or your product offering so that you're actually a little bit more profitable, Mm. right? And when you start to get that investor mindset and you ask yourself, what is the best use of the resources I already have? All of a sudden, you build an investable business that is super attractive to investors. And once they see that you know how to do that, they're going to come to you. Because there's not a lot of entrepreneurs that have really figured that out yet.
1: I totally agree. I think that's a great way to look at it. Because you're right. I remember being a SaaS company, growing, trying to find money. And we had this angel group looking at us. And they were saying, Oh, yeah, you can come. You can come pitch to us. And we started looking at it. And we're like, they're looking to give us like $5,000. And it's like, what are we doing? Like, Why are we spending so much time on that? If we just put that amount of effort into developing out our sales process and coming up with the right framework, I'm sure we could generate as many or more sales than that. Plus it's recurring going forward. We're going to get a lot more out of it. So I agree.
0: Exactly. That's the piece that's hard because in the public press, we hear so often about these big funding rounds and like, that's the badge of honor. If you've raised a lot of money for your company, somehow that makes you successful. And the truth is that money is just a tool right? Mm -hmm. It's not like money is money. If it comes from your clients or if it comes from an investor, if it comes from the bank, it's all the same. It's not about getting the money. That's not the success. It's using the money to drive your business forward. That's interesting. And so don't get hung up on where the money comes from.
1: I agree. So how does a founder know when it is the right time? Maybe they've done that. They've put their right process in place. What is that time for them to go out and seek investors?
0: Yeah. So it's very funny. I talk to people about the million dollar question and it's actually a million dollar question. If someone gave you a million dollars today, you just like found it on the street. Would you know exactly where to put it in your business so that you could double that money? Would you know how to turn a million dollars into two million dollars inside your company? If the answer is yes, then it's time to go look for capital because there are people who will buy that all day long, right? Every investor out there, if you can definitely show them how you can double their money, they're going to be interested. However, if you're just sitting around saying, Oh, well, I can't do what I want because there's not enough money. Oh, well, money is the problem. And you don't actually know what you would do with the money to move your business forward, you're probably not ready to raise capital because you need to understand what makes a good investment inside your business before you go and ask somebody else to make that investment.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I've always heard, you know, investors, what you want them to sense is that you've got the process. You've got a machine. You know how this is gonna work, you know how this is gonna work, you know, how this is gonna work. The only thing that's missing is money to scale it. And if you put some money in this machine, you're going to get three, four, five times out on the other side. You know it, that's the only thing you're missing. And that's what investors are really looking for. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, definitely. Sometimes I compare the the business to like the engine of a car, right? So if your engine is all put together and really the only thing that's missing is gas, which in our analogy is the money, then you're going to be able to find people to give you the gas once you show them how fast the engine can go. However, if your engine is like laying around in parts on your garage floor, buying gasoline is not going to move it forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you've talked about how companies need to show themselves to be great investments. And this is part of that. We talked about the process, but is there anything else the company can do to set themselves up well for fundraising?
0: So I think understanding how you're a good investment is the base, right? Like until you can do that, it's going to be very hard to raise money. I think that there's two other elements, one of which is knowing your numbers, right? Which doesn't just mean, hey, look, I can throw out a lot of metrics about my sales process, which they're important. But you need to be able to tell a story with those numbers that helps investors understand, hey, I manage and master, really, the way my business works. I know what levers are important. I know which numbers to look at, which numbers not to look at. And using that economic story, then what you can do is have a very clear milestone-based ask. So a lot of people go into the fundraising process and they're like, well, I think I need a million dollars to get me through next year, right? Because you hear about runway and people talk about, okay, well, how much runway do you have? That's a result. That's not the goal. If you understand that with taking a million dollars, you can actually double your revenue, right? You could you could move from say fifty thousand MRR to a hundred thousand MRR. That's a story that an investor, when you go to them and say, "Look, we're looking for investment to be able to double our MRR," an investor is going to perk up and be like, "Ooh, I want to talk to you. That's interesting." Because again, mm-hmm. most people are in that place where they're like, "Well, I just need to raise a million dollars to get me through next year." Yeah. And, and an investor is not really interested in getting you through next year. An investor is interested in how their investment is going to grow your business.
1: It's funny because to a founder that feels like something that might be valuable, that feels like something they should be saying. But you're right. I mean, for an investor, they don't want to just cover, you know, your burn to get you through whatever. You know, right. they want to help you accelerate.
0: Yep. And ultimately it's also about finding the right investors. Honestly. Like a lot of times I see people and you ask them why they're pitching an investor. And it's like, we well, because someone introduced me. It's like, no. Um, would you pitch a client because someone introduced you? Probably not, unless they were really in your target market. You're not going to try to sell something to somebody who's just not interested in not what you fit. do.
1: Yeah. And that's something I actually uh, try to work with people on is they want to sell to everybody. And it's not right. You can't... You're not all things to all people. You have to find that right niche, the right perfect fit. It's the same with investors. I love how you're talking about that because if you... You know, get in bed with these people, then you're going to be with them for a while and you've got to make sure that they are the right fit. Not only do you like them, but can they open up the right doors for you? Can they give you the right guidance to get you where you need to go? I think sometimes that's forgotten in the investment process.
0: Yeah. And it's really funny because fundraising is just a sales and marketing process, but so many people invest so much into their sales and marketing process. And then they leave so much to chance when it comes to fundraising. They're like, oh, could someone introduce me? I'm just looking for people to write me a check. I'm like, wow, is that how you run your sales process? <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. You mentioned some metrics, some key numbers and KPIs to keep an eye on. What do you feel are some of the most important metrics?
0: So particularly in the SaaS industry, I think you've got to know the key metrics around customer acquisition costs, the ratio between customer acquisition cost and lifetime value of the customer. And then you got to follow churn very closely. I do think there's a balance there. I've seen a lot of people who are like, okay, I need to calculate CAC. And they just kind of throw a calculation together that usually gets found out pretty quickly. Investors are not dummies. They see a lot of this. And so it's better to have a calculation that makes sense for you and call it whatever you want to call it, than to try to fit your company into a traditional CAC calculation and Mm -hmm. end up not being able to explain it because it just doesn't patently fit your business, right?
1: Yeah, I agree. And uh, by the way, I do have a SaaS scorecard that has all of the things that Stephanie says and more to be able to track. So for anybody listening or anybody watching, go to my website, mattwallach.com. You'll be able to download that scorecard and keep track of all of your stuff, including CAC, customer acquisition costs, including lifetime value and the relationship, which I think is one of the most important pieces of your entire metric tracking, is that CAC to lifetime value, meaning how much are you earning from the amount you're spending. And that's a really, really critical number.
0: Yeah. I think the other thing that's interesting. And I I haven't seen your scorecard, but I'm going to go download it after this is also payback period. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I know that, you know, it's a function of LTV, but a lot of times people don't think about it in terms of how many months of subscription do you have to keep your customer to actually pay back your acquisition costs. Because a lot of times that can be an indicator also of the health of your business.
1: Yep. CAC payback is a huge one. You, just to make sure everybody knows some of the one of the best benchmarks that a lot of people go the best guidelines for CAC Payback is 12 months or less is usually what I've seen. Do you see the same, Stephanie?
0: Yeah. I think if you're 12 months or less, again, it's it depends, right? B2B, B2C. I'm guessing we're probably talking more about B2B here. Mm-hmm. Less than 12 months makes a lot of sense. I think if you can get under 12 months, you start to be a lot more attractive.
1: Absolutely. Six, seven, eight, nine months. That's where people really start seeing this company as, hey, this is great. If we can go out, find some customers. We spend some money to do that in our sales and marketing, and we're going to get paid back in six to nine months for that spend, boom, everything after that is gravy and profit for the business. So that's really what an investor is thinking. I'm glad to hear you say it because that is on the scorecard as well. And the neat part about the scorecard is once you plug in your numbers, it shows you if you have a good number or a bad number, kind of marks it red or green. And that makes it really easy for you to keep track over time of whether you're doing well or not and what you need to fix. So yeah, definitely download it. And anybody else, make sure you go get that to help yourself out. Free download on my website. So Stephanie, I want to ask you, what are some mistakes that founders make in the funding process?
0: Well, so we talked about a few of them, right? One is... you know. Investors are walking checkbooks. I just need an introduction. And whoever it is that wants to write me a check is welcome on my cab table. I think not really understanding their approach to the investor is a part mm-hmm. of that too, right? So again, we kind of compare this to the to the sales and marketing world. If you're going to go try to lock down a big client, you're not going to walk into their office, never having looked at their website, never having seen what they've done in the past, hoping and winging it that you're going to be able to sell that, that deal. It's the you same with the have, Right. Well, you can try it. I'm just not sure how successful you're going to be. Exactly. Um, So to me, like to your point earlier, Matt, these people are going to be with you longer, perhaps your investors are than even your clients. And so you want to make sure they're a good fit. And you also want to give yourself the best opportunity at winning that deal, Mm -hmm. which means you need to understand not just what they say on their website, but you need to go, excuse me, you need to go to Crunchbase, for example, look at PitchBook, look at AngelList, any of the kind of publicly available resources that can help you understand what deals they've actually done. Mm -hmm. And then if it's possible, I would go one step further and try to connect with some of the founders in their portfolio companies who are going to be able to tell you, what is it really like to work with these people? Because as we all know, sometimes the public face that we put on things is not exactly the way things work behind the scenes. And you really want to know if this person is going to be what they say they are. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do that before, if you're not able to connect with those portfolio Companies before, I would suggest that you make that part of your due diligence process. So let's say that you get into a relationship with an investor, it sounds like things are going really well, they make you an offer, which is a term sheet, and you're deciding, okay, do I want to bring them on? I think it's very important for you to talk to founders in their portfolio. And if they're really interested in being transparent with you, you could even talk to founders that they haven't invested in or founders who they invested in whose companies maybe didn't survive. Because knowing what you're really working with in terms of a partner is so critical. Why would you leave that to chance?
1: Yeah, I think it's absolutely critical. And it's something that if you were making a big purchase, you'd want to see experiences from other customers who'd made the purchase. So same thing, if you're going to work with an investor, it makes a lot of sense. That's something that a lot of people don't think about. It's something I haven't thought about. So I'm glad you're bringing that up. But I think I totally see the value in doing that talk with those other portfolio companies and see what their experience has been.
0: Yep. And I think the other thing that that helps you do, and and this is what I say to all my clients, you've got to be convinced that you're a good investment for that particular investor. And you've got to believe that there's a real fit there beyond them writing you a check. And so if you're not willing to say to them, treat me like a partner, right? Which is, okay, put me in contact with people that you've worked with before, et cetera, Mm
1: -hmm. then
0: you're not really a partnership, right? You're basically taking orders from them, which is what most people fear when they take investment money anyway.
1: Exactly. You definitely want that partnership. It makes it so much more rewarding, so much more beneficial to both sides, I'd say.
0: Yeah, Well, and it helps you actually get more value than just the check. Because the Mm. truth is, money is a commodity. I can't remember who said this. I saw this on Twitter the other day. But money is a commodity, right? Like, There's lots of people who want to invest in startups. And so you need to pick the right person for you, not the person who gets there first and says they'll
1: write you a check. Exactly. I think that's well said. So what other advice do you have for early stage founders? I mean, I know you work with a lot of them. What are your best pieces of advice for software leaders who are looking to scale?
0: So I think it's really around some of the stuff we've talked about, right? Don't get caught in the hype of, oh my gosh, raising a big round somehow makes me successful. Understand very clearly and have what I call a capital strategy. Generally speaking, if you're going to go down the path of raising institutional capital, it's not a one and done, right? You're not going to raise one round and then quit. You need to understand, okay, great. I'm going to jump on this. Some people call it a hamster wheel. (laughs) You can call it treadmill, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to jump on this. And my end goal is very clear. For example, I want to build my business to 50 million ARR. And I know at 50 million ARR, I can be acquired for forex revenue. And that's Mm -hmm. my goal, right? Like that is something investors can get behind. Just, I want to build a big business and I'm excited by that. Not only is it hard for investors to understand, but somehow it's going to be hard for you to communicate that excitement to the team you're going to build, to all of the other people you're going to try to involve in your story. And so Mm -hmm. I think starting with the end in mind is a really, really big piece of the puzzle that most people neglect. They're like, well, I'll just go raise some money and we'll figure it out.
1: That's brilliant. I think it's totally you know, important advice because, and I talk about this in the sales process, get the exact goals. And when you're out selling, you should be trying to find what their exact goal is. But likewise, if you're going out to raise some funds, figure out what your exact goal is so you know exactly what you need, exactly how you can get there. And it's going to make it a lot easier to find the right relationship.
0: Yeah, and the truth is that getting to a no, everybody talks about how hard the fundraising process is, but the truth is getting a no is much better than what you usually get from investors, which is a maybe. And so I would say if you're in a situation where it feels like it's not a fit, don't be afraid to say, you know what? I'm not sure this is a fit. Like, I'm not seeing how this works. What do you think? Because if you can get a clear no, that's one less thing you have to follow up on, right? You can just move that person to the no pile. You come back and see them later. That's totally fine. But like, you're going to focus on the folks who can help you right now and who are really a fit.
1: Yeah, I have a software founders group uh, where SaaS founders get together weekly to talk about. And we talked about that exact thing this morning in our group session where you And it's a funny old saying that I repeat over and over. The second best answer you can get in sales is no. And it sounds like the same thing in the investment world, because you don't want to spend time chasing down and chasing down and putting in more energy and trying to figure out this and trying to make it work. And it just doesn't. So the second best answer you can get is no. Obviously, the first being yes.
0: Right. And I think the sooner you can get there, again, you're not being a bully. You're not pushing people like, oh, you don't want to invest in me. Okay, leave me alone. But I think you have to be a little bit more of a leader in Mm -hmm. that perspective and be willing to say, I'm not seeing how this works and put that on the table. Because quite often, there's this power dynamic that happens. And it happens in sales too, I bet. But it definitely happens in the investment world where, oh my gosh, they're the people with money. Well, I can't upset them. I don't want to say anything that might make them unhappy. Maybe they'll invest in me someday if I'm just a nice person and I keep doing what they say.
1: I totally agree. And it's so true. This has been really awesome, Stephanie. I've learned a lot. And it's made me kind of rethink how that whole investment relationship dynamic should work. So I... I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing some of your wisdom with us.
0: Of course, my pleasure. I'm I'm happy um, to get the chance. Obviously, I love to talk about this stuff, but I'm also happy to get the chance to spend some time with you and learn more about what you do.
1: For sure. Let's be sure to do that. But uh, I want to make sure everybody can get in touch with you. Once again, for everybody out there, we've been talking with Stephanie Sims. She really, really is awesome about finance and finding investors and making sure it's the right time. So how shall our audience learn more about you and what you're doing, Stephanie?
0: So they can either go to stephaniesims.com or they can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Stephanie J. Sims on LinkedIn. And I would love to learn about, if you think that you want to raise capital in 2021, reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you about what it is that you might need. And if it feels like a fit, I'd love to help you get there.
1: That is awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show.
0: Sure, thanks so much. And I'm excited to see what happens for everyone in 2021.
1: Very good. Me too. It's going to be, uh, hopefully, it's a much better year than 2020. Definitely. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. And for everybody else out there, thank you for listening. Once again, please make sure to subscribe. Please make sure you're following along with our content here at Sastry in the Making. We are always putting out new and interesting ideas from innovative and creative leaders. So once you hit that subscribe, you'll be notified of new episodes so you can get that really pertinent help and guidance. Thank you, everybody, for listening or watching. And we will see you next.
0: Thank you for listening to Sastery in the Making. Join us next episode for another look into how today's visionaries are creating the next generation of innovation.